lots of people believe that seeing is believing. That if God just showed up and showed them something amazing, something big, something miraculous, then they would really believe in him. But as we just saw in the little video, if we don't see Jesus in the so-called small things, then it's unlikely that we would see him even if something extraordinary happens. I was listening to a little podcast this week. It was based on Jesus' parable of Lazarus and the rich man. Maybe some of you remember that one. The rich man died and he went to hell. And he wanted Abraham to send Lazarus back from the grave to warn his family so they wouldn't end up in the same place. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. He meant that they have God's word to to read and to be warned about the, the destination and the direction of their lives. But the man protested, if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He thought a supernatural visit from the grave would shock them into repentance. But listen to what Abram replied. If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. If people have that wrong attitude, that closed mind to what God is saying through his word, then even a spectacular miracle won't necessarily change their minds. And I think this is what happened in the fallout to the miracle that we looked at last week. A man who had been blind from birth was completely healed by Jesus. But even although the Pharisees saw the evidence of this, they still refused to believe. So we're going to read from John chapter 9. It's quite a long reading, but if you just bear with me, this will get, we'll get the, the, the whole story of what happened after that. So John chapter 9 and breaking in verse 13. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud in my eyes, the man replied, and I washed and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner do such miraculous signs? So they were divided. Finally, they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he's a prophet. The Jews still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that he can see? We know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know that he was born blind, but how he can see or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He's of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for already the Jews had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ would be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said he's of age. Ask him. 
A second time they summoned the man who'd been, who'd been blind. Give glory to God, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I've told you already. And you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they hurled insults at him and said, You are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses. But as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, Now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet you open my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly man who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. The man, then Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and that those who see will be, who claim, those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, What? Are we blind too? Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. The Pharisees were confused about this miracle because it didn't fit in with their religious traditions. It was because the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was the Sabbath. Now, we've already seen this in John's Gospel before. The Sabbath, of course, was the last day of the week. And according to the fourth of the Ten Commandments, the people of Israel were not to work on that day. But instead, they were supposed to keep it holy for the Lord. However, the Jewish scribes, they had taken that command and from it listed 39 different things that were prohibited on the Sabbath day. But the problem was that in healing this man, Jesus had broken at least three of those rules. First of all, he'd healed, which was against the the rules apart from if it was an emergency, a life and death situation. Secondly, in making mud, he would have seen to have needed, which was also prohibited, as was anointing, which Jesus did when he put the mud on this man's eyes. So in performing this miracle, Jesus had gone against the tradition of their religion. And that confused and divided the Pharisees. Some said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. If he broke their rules, which they believe were from God, then this man couldn't be from God. But others were puzzled, how can a sinner do such miraculous things? signs. Their problem was that they trusted so much 
in the religious tradition. That they could not see the clear evidence that pointed to the reality of Jesus. So how could they sort out this confusion? Well, they did what on the surface looked like it was something really good. They sought to clarify this confusion. So first of all, they brought the guy in and asked him what had happened. Then they asked him what, they thought, what he thought of Jesus. What do you have to say about him? They asked. And in response, this man gave very clear testimony to answer these questions. He told them what had happened. He put mud in my eyes and I washed and now I see. A very simple, clear explanation. And he also told them who he thought Jesus was. was. He said, he is a prophet. In his eyes, only a prophet could do this miracle. It was a clear and powerful witness to what Jesus had done. But did you notice, the Pharisees weren't convinced by that at all. Not because there was a lack of evidence, but because their preconceived ideas about the Sabbath and about Jesus blinded them to that truth. It's because of what they already thought they knew, they just couldn't see what had happened. So instead of accepting this man's testimony, they searched for some way to discredit it. The Jews did not believe that he'd been blind from birth, it says in verse 18. So that's why they called this man's parents in. And asked them, is this your son? Is this the one who was born, that you say was born blind? How is it that you can see? Three questions. And in response, his parents answered two of them, the first two, really clearly. They said, we know that he is our son. And we know that he was born blind. But did you notice that they refused to answer the third question? They said instead, he's of age, he will speak for himself. Why was that? Well, it wasn't because they didn't know. I can't imagine that that his parents hadn't asked him how he just suddenly had gone from being blind to being able to see. I'm sure he would have told them the answer. But it's that they didn't want to do what their son did. They didn't want to speak up about the power and the identity of Jesus because they were afraid of what it would cost them. They were too afraid to count the cost of following Jesus. They chose the familiarity and the comfort of being in part of the synagogue Instead of Christ. To them, being accepted by their community was more important than following Jesus. Now that's completely understandable from a human point of view, isn't it? How many of us have been tempted to do the same? I know, I can think back to when I was at school and how difficult that was. Everybody knew that I was a Christian, but that made me very different from everybody else. And I hated that sense of being kind of the focus of attention. And I've been at events as an, as an adult. 
and everybody else is, is going a certain uh, behaviour, a certain attitude, and are you really going to stand up and, and be counted and stand up as being different? So we, I think we all understand what's going on here. But following the crowd in this way, keeping quiet about what we know about Jesus, is a really serious thing. It's a really serious verse in Mark chapter 8. It says this, If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. That's a serious thing, isn't it? Being a secret disciple, following Jesus but not telling anybody. I don't think we get that option as follower of Jesus, do you? I think Jesus wants us to stand up for him in this adulterous and sinful generation. Even if it gets a lot of flack. Even if we get a lot of attack because of it. That's the parents. But did you notice why? Why those parents were afraid? Did you notice what it said in verse 22? The Jews had decided... That anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ would be put out of the synagogue. They'd already decided. This investigation on the surface was a really good idea. It was right that these religious leaders took their role very seriously and asked those questions and seek those answers. But the problem was, this was not an open and honest investigation of the evidence. This was not a genuine desire to seek the truth. Most of them had already made up their minds about Jesus. They were closed-minded. And this is why, despite the evidence, this request for clarification deteriorated into a heated confrontation. They called the man in again. Verse 29. Do you see what they said? Give glory to God. We know this man is a sinner. Give glory to God. That's actually a quotation from Joshua. I don't know if you remember when the, the people of Israel had taken the city of Jericho and Achan had stolen some of the plunder from that city and, and, and he was eventually found out, God found him out and Joshua said, give glory to God, own up about it. So it was like a a very solemn charge for this man here who had been blind to finally tell the truth. Because they'd been convinced that he'd been lying to them all along. Not on the basis of their evidence, but on the basis of what they already thought about Jesus. Jesus, he didn't follow their traditions. Jesus didn't confirm their righteous standing. He did not fit into their ideas about God. So Jesus must be a sinner. No matter what the evidence said. So when this man responded with another clear testimony about what Jesus had done, they still were not convinced. They asked this man to tell him his story again, but he could just see what was happening. He could see that it was going nowhere. So he said, I told you already, and you did not listen. Their problem here is not that they're not getting enough information. 
but they're like a rebellious kid. don't know if any of the parents have ever had one of those. Who keeps on asking their parents why they can't do something that they want to do. They just keep on asking, why not, why not, why not? And they're not really wanting an answer, they're just rebelling against what their parents say. And that's the problem here. They're asking questions, but they don't want the answer. Because they already have made up their minds. So when this man, I think, sarcastically asked if they want to become disciples of Jesus, they launched into this attack. See in verse 28, 29? You are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses. But as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. They claimed that they were rejecting Jesus because they were passionate in their following of Moses and the word of God that came through him. But you know, if that had been the case, then they would have recognized Jesus because Moses spoke about Jesus. Deuteronomy 18, verse 15, this is what Moses said. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from, a, from your own brothers. You must listen to him. And then Paul, he wrote that the whole purpose of the law was to point people to Jesus. He said the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ. So we should have been reading, they should have been reading the law and understanding that it was pointing to someone. But as Jesus has already said in his Gospels, they refused to let the word of God lead them to Jesus. John chapter 5, you diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. If they truly had been disciples of Moses, it would have led them to trust in Jesus. But they didn't want to listen. They didn't want to accept the possibility because they personally thought they would have lost too much. Too much of their standing, too much of their power, too much of their self-centeredness, their self-righteousness. And so they rejected Jesus. And they made this crystal clear by rejecting this new follower of Jesus. You were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? See that? There's that bad theology again that we were looking at last week. Do you see it? In their eyes, because he was born blind, he'd been steeped in sin at birth. Blaming the one who's suffering. Because in their eyes, personal suffering was always the result of personal sin and now he just confirmed it in their eyes because he'd sided with Jesus and dared to confront them and so they threw him out and I think it means threw him out there not just of their presence but threw him out of the synagogue he's basically excommunicated from them because they were so sure they were right that anyone who did not follow their rules couldn't be from God. But you know, I think we need to be really clear here. 
This wasn't just an innocent mistake on the Pharisees' part. This wasn't just an honest error of judgment. This was a result of their sin and their pride. Later on in verse 39, Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. As we've seen, Jesus came to save sinners. He came to rescue those who are lost in darkness and despair. Like this man who'd been born blind, Jesus came for him. And so for those who are willing to accept their helplessness, he has all the power they need to open their eyes and to bring them into the kingdom of light. Jesus came to open the eyes of the blind. But the other side of Jesus coming is that he brings judgment. Judgment on those who claim to be able to see. Like those Pharisees and their pride and their, their self-sufficiency. Those people who refuse to come to Jesus. Who resist his truth. Who challenge what he is saying. Who want to hide from his light because it shows up their sin. And so those people will become blind to the reality of who Jesus is and what he can give. And this is why they stand guilty for the rejection of Jesus. Later when some Pharisees asked if they were blind, Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin, but now you claim you can see your guilt remains. So these people were not blinded by ignorance or by a lack of evidence. It wasn't just you could sit them down and say, look, here it is there. Look at the, all the evidence. Look at John's Gospel. Look at all the evidence we've looked at about who Jesus is. They still would not have been changed. Because they were blinded by their pride. And their refusal to accept that they needed Jesus. The light of the world to shine in them. That was the Pharisees. We've seen the parents and their attitude. We've seen the Pharisees and their attitude. But what about this man who'd been born blind? How different he was. Because he showed amazing commitment to Jesus. Initially, when people asked him who had healed him, he told them this. The man they called Jesus did this. You know, at that stage, this seems to be all they knew about him. All he knew about him. He wasn't healed because he had a great insight or understanding about Jesus. He wasn't healed because he had a great faith in Jesus. It was just a guy who came to the, down the road, stuck mud in his eyes, told him to wash, and he was healed. Who was he? He's the man called Jesus. But then as we've seen, as, as this man thought about it, as he considered it, he made a re- realisation. He is a prophet. As he said to the Pharisees. Then under cross-examination, he came to the conclusion that only a man from God would have been able to do what Jesus did. If this man was not from God, he could do nothing. Do you see his growing understanding of who Jesus is? And even when he was insulted and put out of the synagogue by the Pharisees, this did not deter his journey to faith. Jesus found him. And asked him, do you believe in the Son of Man? 
Son of Man is one of those titles in the book of Daniel. Uh, uh, titles about of Jesus. Talks about him being a king who will reign forever. The one like a son of man. And this man, to this question, he answers so amazingly. He says, who is he, sir? Tell me, so that I may believe in him. The Pharisees, they were arrogant. They were self-assured. They were closed-minded. They thought they knew everything and they didn't need to listen to anybody. This man's response is honest. It's humble. And it's teachable. And so Jesus revealed his identity to him. You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking to you. And when this man heard this, he responded with this amazing declaration of faith. Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. This man who'd been completely blind, who couldn't see a thing, who was lost in darkness and despair, finally he could see clearly and fully. Jesus is not just a prophet. He's not just a man from God. He is the Son of Man. He is God's chosen King. He is the one who deserves to be Lord of our lives. He is the one who deserves to be worshipped. What an amazing insight. What an amazing expression of commitment. For his parents, the cost of commitment was too great. But for him, despite all that it would cost him, he readily accepted Jesus as Lord. He was like Paul, the apostle, who said this, I consider everything, everything, a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom, whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish. I begin Christ. Like this man, Paul had all that he had in life. His status, his, his wealth, his comfort, his ease, his family, the appreciation of everybody, his reputation, all of that. And he counted it all as absolute rubbish. Compared to the treasure of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For him, following Jesus was worth losing everything. I wonder what about us? Which of those three groups of people are we most like this morning? Are we like the Pharisees? Refusing to come to Jesus... Because he won't fit into our preconceived ideas, our religious traditions, our pride in our achievements, or our status, or even just because he won't do what we want. Jesus, I'll follow you if you do. Making bargains with God. Are we like the Pharisees? I hope not. Or are we like the parents? Holding back. 
Because although what we've seen what Jesus can do in someone's life, we're afraid of what it might cost us. We're afraid of what might, people might say about us. We're afraid of how it might ruin our street cred. Or divide us from our family. Or make us be ridiculed. Or what it might cost us in terms of following Jesus, in terms of going and sharing the gospel, or going into this world to, be a, to take the gospel to places where people haven't ever heard. Are we holding back because of the cost? Or are we going to be like this man? Who, are willing to, who is willing to bow before Jesus? Accept him as Saviour and as Lord. Because our eyes have been opened to the wonderful reality of who he really is. Are we willing today to worship?